Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. It is a uh, sunny January day, but also miserable outside. Gentlemen, how are you enjoying the winter? Uh, Brunts looks cold. He's got a stocking cap on in his house. Yeah. I, uh, I, pretty, much, I pretty much alternate between this stocking cap and my other one. Um, I, I, this is the time of year when I'm essentially a shut in as well. So it's not, uh, it's, it's not good days over here. Do you, do you have to explain to your children that they can't go outside because it's miserable out? (laughs) I don't even say that it's miserable out. I don't want to give them a complex. I just say that this is, this is my time. This is my time to be a shut in. Oh, okay. I, for some reason, I feel like that wouldn't work very well. No, it doesn't. I, they just go outside anyways. Well, I guess you need a bigger stocking hat. Maybe one of those, uh, maybe one of those uh, face mask things that twins outfielders sometimes used to wear. Like, you remember, was it Oswaldo Arcia? He would oh, yeah. have that. He always looked like a ninja when he would come to the plate in March and April and cold weather cities. Like, you could only see his eyes. Because he always had just like that full mask on. There's nothing like watching uh, an early April baseball game from Minneapolis where the score is usually like one to zero. And this is where the pitchers who really actually aren't any good and will have an ERA uh, around the sixes by the end of the year, they actually can uh, coax a few ground balls off some uh, cold weather hitters. Nice. Um, that's very, that's always very good television. So, so- Bailey Ober is a Cy Young candidate in April is what you're saying? Well, let's not – that feels like you took a pot shot that I don't think was necessary there. I like Bailey Ober, uh, but uh, we have some other guys who uh, who I'm not so keen on. Randy Dobnik? Not right, not, not right now. I'm kind of down on the dauber. Um, but I, will, uh, I won't get all into Twins baseball, nor will I uh, break down uh, the – Minnesota Vikings GM hire, even though Schaefer and I could maybe go a good 12 minutes on that. Yeah. Maybe at the end of the show, we'll see what Brunt thinks of the new architect of the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> well, he built a winner in Cleveland, so that's all I care about. A uh, winner, winner strong there. But <laughs> all right. So Nebraska picked up yet another midseason edition, yet another transfer portal edition, yet another FCS edition. And Stop me if you think I'm too far over my skis here. But you can make a case that Omar Brown is the best player they picked up out of the transfer portal. Is that uh, is that too strong for you, Michael Brunts? You, you're, you're going against my boy, Boom Boom Bushini. He is pretty good. Uh, yeah. he, he, well, they both have their share of FCS accolades, so – there, there's that it's I don't know I mean I, I I don't know that I would say necessarily to say the best but he's got a pretty long um, track record of production behind his name and I think that helps I think when you look at what Nebraska needs um, certainly the, some some answers in the secondary and some options in the secondary is high on that list so I don't think that uh I don't know that I would say best, but maybe one one B, but behind my my guy Boom Boom. Okay, all right. Well, that was going to be my next question. If you didn't say best, you got to give me a guy. So you're going 
Brian Buscini is your one. Omar Brown is your two. Uh, BC, Omar Brown, is he your one? Uh, probably not, but he could, uh, he could prove that I am wrong in a hurry. Um, I'm pretty big on, uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting with like Tommy Hill and Omar Brown. It's sort of like, let's just put it out there and see what happens, you know, by April, who are we talking about the most? But, uh, I'm pretty excited about the Tommy Hill, uh, acquisition, uh, and a big reason for that is just, as you know, he's so connected already to Travis Fisher through a long recruiting process, even when he picked Arizona State, um, that I feel like he's not a guy who's like getting used to the coach. You know, he's, yeah. he's he knows he knows how he works. And Travis Fisher, I think, kind of knows how Tommy Hill works. So that's where I maybe give Tommy a slight edge. But I think you're probably right in saying, you know, even though it was an FCS level, Omar's produced more and has a, a grander resume than probably anybody except Buscini, um, you know, that, that Nebraska has. Uh, maybe Bleak Road, uh, you could argue, is in that category as a kicker. Uh, but, yeah, it's a good question. I think he's probably top three or four as far as just, like, what have you actually done? What's actually on your record? And he has something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's uh, Casey Thompson probably has to be in that conversation oh, yeah. as well. I forgot, I forgot Remember Casey him? Thompson. Yeah, he was the quarterback. <laughs> I thought we'd try to make it a few minutes without talking about Casey Thompson, but Brunts didn't let us. So, Well, I mean, I think he probably deserves a little <laughs> mention in the who, who's the best, most important type category. Yeah, yeah he, well, he did I, I think he's again. the most important. Like, I, I, there's no question in my mind. I think he's the most important. Um, and then I think if you go after that, either of those specialists probably have more importance than Omar Brown. I think Omar Brown might be the best football player, independent of just his position or the need or whatever. Um, everything I have heard about this guy, including trying to reach out and learn more about those who coached against him, teams stopped throwing his way. Like uh, there was I, I know this to be true of at least one FCS team in their scouting report. It basically says we aren't going after. And then Omar Brown's number, we are staying away today. So um, I, I think that's a, a big reason why he's at Nebraska is he needed a, a challenge. He needed a change of scenery uh, to help himself continue to get better. Uh, to, he got a goal to be in the NFL. And, and in order to do that, he felt like he needed to leave, Northern Iowa and, and face more competition and face quarterbacks who are going to challenge. And so um, I'm really high on Omar Brown. I have heard, you know, whether it was Alan true, whether it was Ryan Burns, whether it's a couple different sources uh, I have heard nothing but glowing comments about how good he is and, and what kind of player he can be in the secondary. I mean, I, I think Minnesota would have had more of a shot with them if they hadn't already taken several other defensive backs uh, out of the transfer portal, including the kid from Abilene Christian that Nebraska hosted that weekend in December. Um, but Omar Brown, I think, is a, a pretty pretty good player, and I think we're going to see that really quickly in the spring, and then of course in the fall. So, what's his uh, what's his actual size at? Do you do you know? I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. No one gave me the the actual tape measure size. Um, we got him listed at 6'1", 180. 
I would assume he's going to be in the neighborhood of that. I mean, you guys know how this works. You usually take about an inch to half inch off of every player's height. And that usually gives you the most realistic height. Um, with quarterbacks, sometimes you can take two inches off of their height and you still might be pegging them a little high, but uh, you know, so I, I think he's going to be right in that six foot range. I would assume he's heavier than 180 at this point in time, but uh they get him on campus, you'll probably add a little bit of weight, spend some time with Zach Duvall and those guys. And then you're right, Brian. I mean, you have Tommy Hill, you have him, you have Braxton Clark, you have Marquise Buford. You, you That's a second. Jaden Gold is here early. I mean, we, we kind of earmarked this segment to kind of talk about it, but secondary flipped uh, extensively here in the offseason. And it had to. I mean, you had so much experience in Markel Dismuke and in Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor Britt, you lose that. And they had some pieces, but I, I think they really needed to bring some guys in to compete for some jobs and try to figure out, okay, who are the best four guys that we can put out there? Or more likely, when we're talking about this Nebraska unit, probably best five guys. Because I think you're going to see a lot of nickel or at least someone who can play in coverage in that way. Yeah. Sorry about forgetting about Casey Thompson. I was, my brain was really on a defensive track because we kind of talked about talking about the secondary, but um, that also goes to show, like I've, I've found this in the last few days, I'm having like data overload with Husker football right now. Cause there's like, it feels like there's been about 50 to 75 offers that have just flown out uh, into the wind here in the last, you know, five, six days. Uh, obviously there's the junior day stuff. There's all these transfer ads. It's really a wild time where uh, my, uh, my engine overheats sometimes over here. Well, the, the transfer portal sound that we cooked up has been going kind of haywire. So that's probably why too. Mm. Wasn't it a, it was like a sound, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what you came up with. I don't know if yeah. you had- I didn't hear if you had added it or not, but you did uh, come up with that and hopefully uh, got, uh, got that trademarked. The, it, it is an interesting discussion around the secondary though, because that, that would be a group that I, I still have a few concerns, I guess, about what that safety spot looks like ultimately, because it, you've had, you know, you, you lost two guys that played a ton of football for you. You also, have some guys that were really highly recruited that have been sitting for a while behind them that you need to kind of step up talking about pull gates and you know you, you don't really know yet what you have with Javin Wright is he going to be an outside linebacker you know the the blood clot situation too I know he's back working out but I kind of wonder if you don't see a Marquise Buford playing safety I mean that, that was part of the discussion last year was looking at him there. He was at least listed on the depth chart there. But it, it, it feels like even though you have all these additions, it feels like a guy or two who you kind of had very lightly penciled in as a cornerback might get some looks at safety just out of necessity. Yeah, and I'm not so sure. If I were to say uh, – who lay confidence points on certain guys who are returning that they will be a starter come that game against Northwestern. I think the only guy I would say with a lot of confidence is Quentin Dusum because I feel like Travis Fisher and Eric Chenander feel really strongly about him and how he developed last year. 
And I just think he's going to be tough to beat out uh, through, through sort of the progress he made last season. Miles Farmer obviously comes to mind, but to what uh, Bruns is talking about, I think he's going to have to fight like heck for his job. I, I think you saw um, that how much they missed Deontay Williams when he was injured late in the season. I, I, I think Miles was learning on the fly, and I give him sort of that grace period where maybe he got some lessons out of that, and you're going to see that transfer in the next season. But I don't think he should rest comfortable at all with some of these new faces they've added about what could happen there. Yeah, I, I agree with you um, on both counts. I mean, I, I think that Quentin Newsom is the safest bet in that room right now. Uh, he had a really nice season in 2021, and and Miles Farmer really felt like he struggled, uh, especially, you know, that Wisconsin game. You kind of need your safety to be willing to come up and hit, and he didn't necessarily have that kind of tenacity that you sort of need from that spot. Um and I think he had a couple of the run fits that didn't quite work uh, when they gave up some of those longer runs to, was it Braylon Allen? Is that his name? He was 17 years old. He's not anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's 18 now. So for, formerly 17 year old Braylon Allen. That's how I'll refer to him now. Well, mm-hmm. how old will he be when Caleb Williams is tossing touchdown passes to other people and he doesn't get the ball as much? That'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a rumor. I don't I don't actually think that's going to happen, but it would be fascinating. Could you imagine all the teams linked to him and he ends up with Paul Christ at Wisconsin? Like, no, no. I mean, he's like courtside at a Laker game and it's like, no, I'm going to go hang out with Paul Christ. (laughs) Just wants to to fish on the big lake on campus. (laughs) Sensible hats. Uh, So I. I wonder if Braxton Clark, I always thought he was going to be a safety. I know our analyst at 24-7 thought he was going to be a safety. I think Andrew Ivins thought he was going to be a safety uh, when he was covering Florida exclusively at that point in time. Maybe you see Braxton Clark this spring move from the corner spot over to the safety spot to give him a little bit more depth there, especially when you have Tommy Hill and Omar Brown coming in. You know, you mentioned Marquise Buford in the past. I think Deshaun Singleton is someone they like quite a bit. I think Deshaun Singleton himself is why they didn't go very hard after safeties in the transfer portal. Um, so it's it's really kind of interesting how that, that room could line itself up. And, you know, Travis Fisher talks about it all the time. He likes to play a lot of different people. I mean, the, the guys who start game one, even without injury, don't necessarily have to be the ones that finish uh, – at the end of the regular season. So there's going to probably be a lot of movement in that group in particular. Is there, is there someone in there that we're not talking about enough? Like, could, could we get a big spring from like a Kobe Bretts and then all of a sudden, like he sort of announced himself or is there someone we're forgetting about at all in the secondary uh, t- room? Timon Lynham. We haven't mentioned him yet. He's kind of in that same group of, yeah corner potential save i mean that that's the thing that makes it so difficult with how travis fisher recruits secondary players it's it's the same that could be corner could be safety i mean you've got tyreek johnson still on the roster who was in the same boat where it's like okay is he a corner is he a safety didn't really work out at ohio state for him but 
we didn't hear anything about him last year. So, I mean, I, th- those are also guys that are in the in the mix, I guess, in the room. You mentioned Kobe Bretz. He's another guy at safety that potentially emerges after missing last year with injuries. So, it, I don't know. Like, it, it just it feels like you have a ton of options. It also just feels like this is going to be a really big spring for a lot of guys in that group, and not just the, the ones that arrive in, in January. Yeah. Uh, you know who's still technically listed as a safety that I think we have to bring up is Isaac Gifford. I mean, I know that he always gets um, sort of thrown into the JoJo Jr. He's the next JoJo, you know, guy. But I, I think how Nebraska handles that position that Doman had going forward is going to be interesting. I think they could use a few different guys who have different skill sets and different scenarios and really rotate around there. And Isaac Gifford somehow, some way has been a, is a guy that seems like they're going to want to get in the field as sort of one of their top 17 or 18 defenders. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's going to start. I don't know. I won't go that far, but I do know that Shenander and those guys like him a lot. And he's going to be a guy who is involved in the rotation in some manner and uh, a guy like him, I don't, I don't count out. So you, that's, we talk about the corner safety, you know, sort of uh, muddiness there and figuring out what's what. I have that same issue with like, is this guy a safety or a slash nickelbacker, outside backer, whatever you want to call him. Um, it's sometimes hard to, to just put that in pen, what exactly he is. Gifford is definitely a guy, though, that's going to play. It's just a matter of where. All right, um, let's take a break. And in the uh, however long it is before we return, I'm sure Nebraska will have offered another 25 players in the 23, 24, and 25 classes. Uh, And then when we return, we're going to talk about the junior day that Nebraska just had. They have a junior day coming up as well, but they had one this past weekend, had a couple offers go out. I have some some in-state players I want your guys' thoughts on if you think that there could be an offer coming uh, for some of those guys. And so we're going to break down Nebraska's most recent junior day uh, when we return here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. On May 23rd, I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. Docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, so I mentioned before we went to break, we were going to get into a little bit of Nebraska's junior day. They had around 20 players on campus last weekend. 
including, I believe, eight guys that had offers and two more that left with an offer. Brunts, was there a big storyline for you that came out of Junior Day this past Saturday? Yeah, it's the, the, the players that I talked to after the visits were guys that were connected to new position groups. So the Brock Knudsen out in Scott's Bluff, you know, meeting Dominic, uh, excuse me, meeting Rayola for the first time. Um, and then also some guys, you know, locally wide receivers who were around Mickey Joseph for an extended period of time and kind of what their takeaways were. I mean, that, that to me was kind of the theme, I guess. You mentioned, uh, you know, guys leaving with offers, Sam Sledge at Creighton Prep getting that offer. I was kind of curious if that was going to happen on, on Saturday. He's been a guy that Nebraska's had a pretty close eye on for a while. I know even last year he had told me that there was some question about whether he wanted to play offense or defense um, at, at the, the next level and what Nebraska sees him as. But definitely an interior offensive lineman, which I think is the right spot for him. He's kind of played everything at Creighton Prep position-wise. So I, I think that's a smart offer because he seems like a guy to me that as you get into the spring and you go through the evaluation period after spring ball, that he's going to get a lot of attention or, or more attention from regional-type programs. So I, I guess my takeaway with him and, and also just the way Nebraska's recruited in-state kids as a whole – they're not waiting around on a lot of guys. If they're going to offer them, they're going to offer them. They're going to start recruiting them. And I think part of that is also due to the fact that Nebraska's had to be more competitive for in-state kids who have gone elsewhere. So, you know, if you, if you, you feel like it's a kid that deserves an offer, just get it done and, and start getting, getting to the work of uh, building relationships. Yeah. BC, do you have any uh, takeaways from junior day? I think this attaches somewhat to what Brunts is saying. And Iowa has long been a nuisance with Nebraska kids. And I feel like every year Nebraska pushes back a little bit more, a little bit more like, okay, you're going to come over here. We're going to go over there. And especially with Shenander's connection uh, to Iowa, you see that more and more. And you saw it with a couple of guys. I know you've talked to them several times, but like Watts McBride, I mean, when you see Watts McBride, who's like rugby player of the year in high school in Iowa and all this stuff, he does all these different things. The first time I saw him as a prospect, I thought that guy is a typical guy that Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes end up signing and nobody makes a big to do about it. And then he picks off a pass against Nebraska and runs it back to the eight yard line or something. And like, he's that type of guy to me. And I think Nebraska sees those type of players now and are like, this is a guy that's been a thorn in our side, this type of guy. We're going to get in on these guys too and uh, not just let them come into our yard. We're going to go into their yard. So you saw that with McBride. You saw it with Titus Cram, who I talked to over the weekend, uh, another Iowa guy, you know, uh, prospect uh, that uh, very good running back, versatile guy that Nebraska hosted. So I think you're seeing more of that. And then in turn, you see Kirk Ferentz come over and watch Tyson Terry of Omaha North wrestle, you know, and stuff like that um, while Nebraska's offering them. So I think that Nebraska-Iowa 
boxing match that takes place for the Midwest guys is, is more interesting by the year. Yeah. I mean, the, the numbers of players that Nebraska has offered in both its own state and in Iowa, it just feels like it just goes up each year. I mean, there's, there's a lot more obviously in Iowa that they've offered over the last couple of years, but I just, I'm blown away. I mean, they're, you know, when we first started doing this job here at 24 seven sports or when Brunson and I were first going through the 2012 and 2013 recruiting classes, like the amount of players Nebraska offers from the Midwest now is probably double um, in some cases, triple what they used to do. And so it, it, it speaks to kind of what Scott Frost said when he got here is he wanted to build with Midwest kids and they really invested some time in the state of Iowa and in the state of Nebraska to do that. And, you know, Sam Sledge is a great example in years past. That's a guy that might have to wait until, you know, like a Jake Applegate had to go through the individual workout again and in June, but now Nebraska feels like they have to move earlier with these offers. I'd be surprised if, if Brock Newton doesn't have an offer uh, by the evaluation period in the spring. I think that's a guy they like a lot. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Benny over from Lincoln High. Brunch, do you know how to pronounce it? I think it's Nagoy. Nagoy. Benny Nagoy, a uh, wide receiver from Lincoln High, absolutely tore up Friday Night Lights. He's got offers, I think, already from Kansas State, Kansas, some other schools. Randomly uh, Pitt. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's uh, that's someone they have to keep an eye on as well. And these are all guys after the fact that they've already offered six in-state as it is, and it's only January 26th. So um, the offer process is moving along faster, and the amount of guys in the state that are getting offers is moving along faster. And so I, I think that's a good thing for Nebraska overall. Uh, they're not going to be able to keep everybody all the time. Um, as we saw last year, four high profile guys all ended up at power five schools, but I think this could be a pretty good cycle for them, you know, and, and my big takeaway is we kind of have a position for Malachi Coleman at this point, he's the number one player in the state per 24, seven sports rankings. Um, that's a guy that I watched, I think three or four times in the fall and came away each time more impressed than the time before it. And I really wondered if they weren't going to try to put some weight on him and have him as an outside linebacker. But after the weekend he had and the time he spent with Mickey Joseph, there's no doubt that he wants to be a wide receiver. And so uh, he has a position now. Nebraska has a wide receivers coach that might already be the most popular coach on the team, despite the fact he's been here for about five weeks, uh, six weeks. And I think Mickey Joseph's going to be a, uh, a really common name for kids in the Metro and, and, you know, elsewhere in the state as well. So, uh, Brunson, I know you talked with Benny. I mean, Malachi couldn't stop gushing about Mickey Joseph. Yeah, it's it's an interesting – the timing of the, the um, event was interesting because you've got the NFL playoffs going on and Mickey Joseph didn't really need to go out of his way to explain who he's tutored, where they're playing currently – and kind of making that connection. I mean, I, I think Benny told me, he's like, yeah, we, we understand that he's the real deal. Like, there's no questioning that. So um, that, that he definitely made an impression. Um, 
you know, I, I think, like you said, him being in the Metro, I think is going to really help Nebraska there too, just to kind of reset that relationship a bit. For sure. Uh, another storyline from the weekend, Nebraska offered another quarterback. I think they have now since Mark Whipple has been here offered four, four 2023 quarterbacks. Uh, one of which William pop Watson, he likes to go by pop. Uh, it, I didn't really get an explanation for why, but Pop Watson is uh, a quarterback that has offers from Michigan, Oregon, Tennessee, Pitt. He already had familiarity with Mark Whipple's offense. Um, those two are relatively close as it goes. It sort of felt like that offer was Nebraska basically saying, okay, we've got a floor. Like if we don't get Avery Johnson, if we can't get Jackson Arnold, we miss out on a couple other guys we have this guy that we really like and you know, he's not the biggest quarterback. It certainly would be a, a switch from Heinrich Harburg and Richard Torres towering over people at, at six, five, six, six to, to William Watson, who's around six foot. Um, but he has great stats. He has a winning history. This is a guy that has a very live arm. Like you can see it in the film. Uh, and so Nebraska went ahead and they made an offer. And I, again, I don't know that it's one that was committable, uh, but it's a kid that's really interested in this offense, really interested in Mark Whipple uh, and someone that I think could be a decent fit if Nebraska ends up going that route. So at the very least, I think William Watson is a name to know kind of moving forward. Uh, BC, I know you caught up with Titus Cram. That's a 2024. He's one of the few sophomores that were there. What, uh, what did Titus have to tell you? Uh, it was his first junior day of any kind. So I got the sense he was just sort of like, you know, so it was like, yeah, it's just sort of like, let's, okay, this is what it's about. This is how this thing works. And I think he had a, he had a really good time. And, you know, this goes back to the Nebraska Iowa rivalry. He's a, a, a guy out of Iowa. And uh, if you look at his numbers, he's, uh, he was incredibly good last season, but also he's a very versatile player uh, running back who, prides himself on being able to do it all so just one of those guys who it's good to get in on right away you know and and give yourself a fighting chance uh, that that's what it's all about with a lot of these guys as we see it's it's building two-year relationships and um starting it when they're sophomores or even younger and keeping that going you know weekly monthly and, until they decide and then sometimes even after they decide with the transfer portal so um, he's just a case study of getting in uh, at the beginning part of a guy's recruitment. And I, I, I think uh, he's very high on Nebraska right now. And so we'll see where they can take that. Nebraska will have another junior day this weekend. Uh, we'll have a full list later this week on 24 seven sports. I know that there's uh, some guys coming in from out of state for Martin Owusu, a defensive lineman from Minnesota. Uh, one of those guys, I believe that there will be, uh, several more with offers as well. So they are they are fully moving forward with 2023, 2024, 2025. I don't know if you guys have noticed, Nebraska has made several offers this week. In fact, they probably made several offers at the start of this podcast. Uh, is there an area that you would like to see Nebraska have more success in in 2023 for the recruiting cycle than what we have seen so far? Um, 
I'm eager to see what they're able to do with, with both lines. I mean, I think with, you know, not having much of a track record with Rayola and recruiting, I think that's going to be something to watch. I also think, you know, this is a, a, a class in 23 though, where you could do a lot of your work close to home um, on the offensive side of the, of the ball on the line. So um you know, I'm, I'm sure he's probably going to be a little bit more active in the Chicago area. Um, I know he was in Iowa um, checking out on a couple of guys that had offers previously from Nebraska. But th- that kind of trajectory of his recruiting and, and how he does will be interesting to follow. And a you know, defensive line is a group where you, you always have to be adding guys. And, you know, Mike Dawson's back in charge there. And Nebraska needs to kind of restock the cupboard a little bit, I think. Um, you know, certainly that's a, a spot where maybe you can go into the portal a little bit more, um, maybe the junior college ranks. But I also think you need to be able to find some, some developmental guys too. And, you know, d- does that mean more of a return to the Northeast for those type of guys? Or, um, you know, what, what direction Nebraska ultimately goes there I think will be really important because – you know, for it, it felt like early on in, in the Frost staff's tenure that they recruited pretty well, um, both offensive and defensive lines. But they, they kind of, I think, need to to bolster the ranks a little bit there. You see any thoughts? I think I won't talk about position groups. I'll talk about regions. I think just where they go regionally with certain recruiters is probably most interesting to me. Obviously there are a lot more doors open in Louisiana right now, for example. I think you're also seeing uh, early signs that Texas could come more into play. Um, I'm not saying just like a prominent part of the class, but, you know, right after he got hired, uh, Brian Applewhite, you know, he came up here for the weekend, that weekend uh, with Anthony Grant, and he went back and he was down in Texas, and I'm sure he's moving his stuff and all that, but he's also recruiting along the way. Um, St. Louis, uh, is, you know, they did, they've done this before, um, where they've, they've just sent out a boatload of offers and it really hasn't happened, but can you find the right coaches to actually sort of break down a door in St. Louis and maybe just get a guy or two and build off of that? Um, those areas kind of interest me, St. Louis, Texas, uh, can Nebraska start to make a little headway that maybe leads some more headway down the road? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, with that for sure. I mean, St. Louis has been the Bermuda Triangle for Nebraska in recruiting. Other than Trey Bryan, I can't think of a lot of success that they've had in that area. Uh, I think you have to go back to um, Bill Callahan, really, with guys like Mike McNeil and Keith Williams and, and others coming out of the, the St. Louis suburbs. because, And it's not for a lack of effort. I would say every – and brunch you can – you can back me up on this. I think I would say every staff Nebraska's had that I've covered has stressed the importance of going to St. Louis. It's just been very hard for them to get any kind of foothold there. And so uh, maybe Mickey Joseph can help in that regard. Uh, At the very least, they're going to try. They do a good job of getting them to campus. Like a lot of these kids end up visiting for these junior days or in March when they'll have another one uh, or spring practices or whatever. It's just that by the time they become juniors and seniors, they're not able to get them back to campus or that interest is completely subsided. So 
Uh, I'll never forget the first offer Kyron Williams ever got was, you know, at on Nebraska's at Memorial Stadium after a Friday night lights in which Keith Williams off to the side is telling anybody that'll listen that that kid's going to be an absolute star. It's just a matter of what position he's going to play. Well, if anybody who follows college football knows who Kyron Williams is right now. So um, it's a, uh, it's an area where if they can just pull a couple of those kids and when they did get one and Trey Bryant, they had the worst luck possible because I think he would have been a starting running back for him for a couple of years had he not gotten hurt. And that could have helped maybe bring over some players as well, but we'll see kind of if they're, if they're able to, to pull that off and we'll see how this upcoming junior day goes. Did you guys know, this is a fun fact for you here on a Wednesday. Did you know that a week from now is national signing day? Had you considered such news? I, uh, I had it circled on my calendar. I don't really know why. It's pretty uh, – I don't know. There, there's not a ton of drama. The, the portal is kind of sucking the drama out of that even more. I mean, it's basically where what, what A.J. Allen is going to decide at this point. Yeah. And beyond that, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't even know if – does Nebraska even break out the fax machines? Or do they just kind of – you know, have one just in case at the ready. Uh, they might just station an intern by it. And if anything comes through, they'll let other people know. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a pretty quiet Wednesday, I think, for Nebraska. The reason you have it circled, though, Brunts, is the Super Six is back. And this year, the Super Six is open to transfers. And it never has been before. And it's going to be wild. And in, you got to pick six. I don't know. Brian Buscini, is he going to be number one on Brunson's Super Six? I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't be. I, I haven't, I have not forgotten about Casey Thompson, but me and Schaefer um, leave, ta- me and Schaefer leave Casey Thompson off ours on accident. <laughs> I don't know if I'd put him on there. You're talking about a one year quarterback. I don't know. You, you think he's going to be one and done off to the, off to the league? Well, yeah, when he throws 56 touchdowns in year one under Mark Whipple's offense, 18 of which to Trey Palmer, another 13 to Omar Manning. I mean, I'm not sure why he's coming back at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, that being, that being what it is, I mean, that, that would be an okay season, I'm sure, next to my guy Boom Boom. So, yeah. Well, Boom Boom's never going to punt because they're never going to have a third down. <laughs> He's just gonna. He's just gonna be the place. The place get colder. That's that's where, what his contribution is gonna be. Like, let alone they're not gonna actually get to the point where they have to punt on fourth down. Their third down conversion rate is gonna be low because they're just gonna be scoring so fast. Hearing all this here for the first time, um, you can take it to the bank too. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> These so. are the kind of predictions you can really cash in on. Especially yeah, the we, guy who went uh, 0 for three on his money line picks in the NFL playoffs last week. We, we got you. We got your hype cast right here for the whole season. Just just guzzle on that Kool Aid out of big trash cans. The Kool Aid cast. Yeah. Uh, okay. We'll we'll finish with this. Who's playing in the Super Bowl a couple weeks from now? Who you got? Uh, the Chiefs are going to beat the Bengals by about three touchdowns. I th- I I'm not down on the Bengals, but I. I feel like they're one of those teams where they kind of got to their their ceiling this year, and they they're going to get a taste of it, and then it's just it'll not be an entertaining AFC Championship game. That's my th- prediction. 
Um, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Niners Chiefs again. Got Brunts. That, that's what I was going to go with. Um, and, and unfortunately, I know where that all leads to. And I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> but I, I was a little disappointed, I have to say, guys, that I wasn't able to share it in the just joy of watching a, a rival go down in the NF, in the NFL playoffs. It, it was we were so close. It is hard to explain how much better my week is because of what happened on Saturday night. I mean, it, it really shouldn't have any effect on me at all, but I'm just happier. I, you know, it's just the sun has just been shining nonstop. Uh, and you were 13 seconds away from that. I know it was, uh, it was, it was a just comedy of errors down the stretch there, but it, it was uh, disappointing. Do you realize your Broncos actually play somewhat of a, a piece in all of this? How's that? If Melvin Gordon doesn't fumble that ball. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs fall all the way to the fourth seed. They have to go to Buffalo. <clears throat> well, wouldn't it also if the Bills would have snuck it in on Monday night football against the Titans, that would have yep. also sent it to Buffalo, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, well, the Bills then lost to the Jags, and there's about a million of these. But asking asking Denver to not just kick itself in the balls repeatedly is a tall ask, apparently. Are you at all surprised that of the two players that were involved in which Nate Gary picked off a Josh Allen pass and handed it back to him, that Josh Allen is the one that will have the long, long, long NFL career? I, I texted you guys this that no matter what Josh Allen does, he could he could he could win a Super Bowl starting next season until the end of his career every year. And every time I see him, I will immediately think to myself, that guy threw five picks against Nebraska. That's where I'll go. Shouldn't have thrown the ball there. I know. Um, so who knew? I mean, we were, we were witnessing budding greatness and, now, I, now I would I would desperately, desperately take Josh Allen as my franchise quarterback. He also had a he also had a backward screen pass that was a fumble. Do you remember that? Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah, but he did throw in that game uh, one touchdown pass where you're like, okay, if he bottled that up. We'll see, big boy. But if you could bottle that up, maybe you'll have something. Apparently, he did. This, this guy remember, might make it make it to a, a training camp with the team. I, I just remember going into that game, hearing like, "Oh, this guy's pretty good," and then you see it, and you're like, "Yeah, whatever." He's you not know? even as good as Brett Smith. Remember Brett Smith, the Wyoming quarterback who almost yep. beat. <laughs> well, the no, it was kind of like this is a this is a way back name. Do you guys remember Nate Enderly? Yes, Idaho. In Idaho. And I just remember, yeah. like, going into that game here, like, oh, this guy's got a chance to make it to the NFL. And it's like you watch him play, and you're like, really? Nebraska can't put a quarterback in the NFL to save its life, but Nate Enderley's a potential. And he made it. He made it to the NFL. Bears? Is that who he was with? Yeah. He was on the Bears for a little bit. But um, Dijon yeah, goes that, that was like – when I saw Josh Allen, I was like, oh, look, it's another Nate Enderley. Turns out he's a little bit better. Dijon Gomes had a pick up, pick six off Nate Enderley, and I remember it because Gomes uh, 
he, he held the ball in one hand, like the last 25 yards, he was running it in, which almost, it just sort of added to the coolness of Dijon Gomes, who was a ultimately cool Husker player. I, I feel convinced that we are the only podcast this week that will discuss Nate Enderley. <laughs> so people have that. All right. Well, we will, uh, we will be back with another podcast next week with the three of us. We're inching closer and closer, I promise. I know I've mentioned it in the past. We're inching closer to potential video podcasts, maybe some interactive podcasts, uh, get some listeners asking questions, listening live. We've got some different things that we could do. So we're, we're inching closer to that. Uh, that could be happening as soon as next week. The Junior Day coming up this weekend, people be sure to check out everything that's going on there. And uh, any closing thoughts, anything you guys want to add real quick? Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to go down a rabbit hole on, uh, on Enderly here. So that, that's, that's noteworthy. I hope everybody stuck around to, to, hear, to hear us get to that because I feel like that was just uh, – that was good stuff. You hope they stuck around to the Enderly? Yeah, to the Enderly. Yep. There you go. Mm-hmm. No. Very good. You're, Close you're, it down. You're, you're, you're a pro. <laughs> We'll catch everybody next week. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.